Let's open to the book of Hebrews this morning. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18, through the end of the chapter 29. So if you're able, will you please stand with me as I read the word of God. Lord, come upon us today with understanding that our eyes might be open to your word, that we might see what it means to come to Zion, to come to grace, to move away from the, the past and what we may have been tied to, and move towards the things of Christ. We ask this in his name. Amen. 18 through 29. For you have not come to a mountain that may be touched, and to a blazing fire, and to darkness, and gloom, and whirlwind, and to the blast of a trumpet, and the sound of words, which sound was such that those who heard begged that no further word should be spoken to them. For they could not bear the command, if even a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem and the myriad of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of righteous men made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking, for if those who did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less shall we escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven. And his voice shook the earth then, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. And this expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken as if as of created things, in order that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. This is God's inspired word for us today, so please be seated. I have a friend who uh, you may be able to relate to this. Probably it's much more a guy thing uh, than, a, than a lady thing. But he has a chair in his house. It's a wonderful house. It's decorated very nice. Uh, his wife has great taste, except that she leaves this one chair in the house. And it, it is the chair that he sits in. It has duct tape on it. Uh, and it is a ratty looking chair. And I asked him about it. He says, but it fits me. Okay, I said, how old is it? Oh, we had this chair. I had this chair in college before we were married. That makes it 25 years old. And, and you can see, I mean, we all have a shape, okay? And if you look at somebody's chair, you can see their shape. And it fits him, okay? And I said, well, isn't it time for a new chair? I mean, you're, you're doing pretty well. You could probably come up with, with some money for a new chair. He, he thought that was blasphemy. The think of a new chair. And I looked at her, his wife. 
And she just rolled her eyes. <laughs> that there was no way he was going to get rid of that old chair because he loved it. Now, the problem with a new chair is that what? It wouldn't be the old chair. It wouldn't be the old chair. Now, how many times in our lives have we resisted the new because we love the old? Okay? Because we love the old. Now, imagine you're the audience for this letter. You have 4,000 years of history behind you. 4,000 years of God saying, this is the way that you will do things. 4,000 years of a life that is regimented, order, dependent upon the old. And then somebody comes along and tells you the new is here, and the new is the fulfillment of the old, and it is so much better than the old. But you've got four thousand years of the Lord speaking to you in a certain way as a people of the Lord moving in your lives of the Lord delivering you in a certain way everything that they knew about what God wanted from them wanted them to say how to dress how to order their lives was forever changed because the new came the new was the fulfillment of these four thousand years that new was Jesus Christ now you throw into this mix the fact that also during this time when this letter was, was written, there was no persecution for the Jewish group of believers. There was persecution for the Christian believers. Now, they're struggling with what they should do, and, you know, they can look back and see, but we were so comfortable with the old. We were, it was so good to us. We knew exactly where we stood before God, and now you're telling us to go to the new that that we don't have to do those sacrifices, we don't have to be involved in all those things as we were before, and, and also in the midst of that new, we're going to face persecution too? Maybe we should go back to the old. We like the old. What do we know about the good old days? Well, the good old days, if you want to go back to everything in the good old days, obviously your memory has failed uh, somewhat. Uh, the good old days when uh, the answer to a, a broken hand was amputation. Now, that's way back in the good old days. I don't think any of us were alive then. But there are always things that we, we um, I don't know, idolize, really like about the good old days. And we like those things because they were important to us. And, but we can't go back to everything. But that's what this crowd wanted to go back to. Everything. Everything. The readers of this letter were waffling when it came to the sufficiency of Christ, to his complete, satisfactory work on the cross. Little voices calling them back, calling them back to the old way, calling them back to Sinai, calling them back to the uh, things of sacrifice, calling them back to the legalism that they had in the uh, Old Testament, to the ceremonies, to the sacrifices. But this... Wise pastor who wrote this, and we don't, we don't know who wrote this. It got into the canon because a lot of people thought Paul wrote it. doesn't really fit his style because usually you can tell Paul writes, I greet you in grace and peace in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the standard. There's none of this. Uh, if I had to guess, it was probably Apollos uh, or, or Barnabas, one of those two who wrote it. But the Lord knows, and that is good enough for me. Okay, But he writes to explain that the law given on Mount Sinai was really not adequate to bring them into the presence of the Lord when you hold it up against the work of Christ. They trusted in Christ, but they were tempted to go back to their roots in Judaism. 
into the legalism of the Mosaic society, uh, system. They knew the truth, but they were having trouble committing to it. They were having trouble committing to it. They were having trouble sticking it out, and they were having trouble living it out as well. Now, today, if, if we're going to look at this and, and say, okay, Rand, well, that was uh, 2,000 years ago, and, and we're not having trouble living Christianity, are we? We're not having trouble sticking it out? Hmm, maybe we are, but we don't really know it. We've talked about this before, about a Christian worldview, and how often it is that our Christian worldview becomes corrupt because we think we have a Christian worldview. In reality, we have a good worldview. And slowly, we have been consumed or, or uh, you know how to boil a frog, right? You don't throw the frog in the boiling water. You put the frog in a, a little bit, you know, in, in room temperature water, put it on low, and that, that water gets warmer and warmer, and he's a, a reptile, so his body adjusts to the heat, and before he knows it, he has stayed in there, and the temperature is so high that he has boiled himself. Same thing can happen to us. We get so involved in the things of the world, and even though we're Christians and we know better, but yet they become so easy for us to accept, so easy for us to go along with, because it seems like, well, that's, that's not so bad. I mean, things were worse. Things were worse. Well, the work of the church, the work of the Christian view is the glory of God. And we have to ask ourselves, how do our lives glorify our Heavenly Father? How do our lives, are they lived in obedience to God first and foremost beyond anything else in our lives? Do we obey him or do we obey the things of the world? Do we further the kingdom? Do we do evangelism even though it may not be popular? Do we go out and serve? Do we do works of compassion even though we might get slapped in the face because of them? Are issues of life and justice and freedom and, and, and living within the limits that God has set over against the limits of the world, are those things important to us? Or do we default to the standards of the world? See, if we're going to have a Christian view, then it will be different, even than the nice people in society. Even, then, even the American view, the Christian view has no politics. The Christian view has no country. It has only Christ and what he says for us to do and how to live. Well, the people who this letter was written to, they were struggling with how they were going to live. They were struggling with what was really going to be important in their lives and where they going to stick it out. And there are five things, and, and four of them are, are addressed before we get to chapter 12, that the author is challenging them with reasons why they have retreated from the things of Christ. The first reason is neglect in chapter 2. They just weren't doing their homework. They just weren't. In our society, they weren't doing their personal devotions. They weren't coming to worship. Uh, they weren't uh, listening to the things that they should listen to. It, they were neglecting the faith. The second is that some people within this group really didn't believe. They mouthed it, but they didn't believe it. So they weren't fully committed to it. That would be the third chapter of Hebrews. The next thing, some were caught in tradition. Some were caught in tradition. Now, understand this is to a group that had come from Judaism into Christianity. A Jewish friend that I spent about three hours one day talking to her about the things of Christ. She looked at me and said, I am so close to believing, but I've got 20-some years that tell me something else. How can I abandon those 20-some years of everything, my life, 
the teachings. I have, I have listened to everything for three hours of what you're saying about Jesus Christ. I said, because if it's true, you have to. You cannot cling to the old. The fourth, in chapter 10, they were withholding a commitment because of impatience. Now, none of us would be impatient with God, would we? I mean, God has, uh, what is it? We have our plan, but is God convinced? Okay? I've got my timetable. I've got it all worked out. God, jump on board now because this is the answer. This is the best way to do it. How many times in our lives have we faced something like that and gone, I am so glad that God didn't listen to me? Okay? Because it really wouldn't have worked out. And we thought, or maybe the other side, we thought it was past fixing. It was past coming to a good conclusion, but yet it was God's perfect timing. And we look and say, why was I in such a rush? Why didn't, why didn't I just sit and wait on the Lord to do something? And here's the fifth thing, and this is the one we're dealing with in particular. It's fear. Fear kept these people from really committing to the things of Jesus Christ. And he addresses fear. And if they want to know fear, all they have to do is look back to the things of the Old Testament and Mount Sinai. And he contrasts, compares and contrasts Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. Now, Mount Sinai is that mountain full of fire and smoke and thunder. And what did we, we read here? If even a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. Nobody could even touch the mountain of Sinai, which God dwelt. Now, now get that. Try, try to get your mind around that. To even touch the mountain. If your dog gets loose and runs up and, and smells a good smell up on a bush and goes to that bush, you've got to stone that dog because it touched the mountain of God. Only Moses could go up there. And Moses says, I'm afraid. I am full of fear and trembling. And, and Moses was no stranger to the presence of God. I mean, he was there. He would come back from communing with the Lord. you know, And he would have this glow and then the people would listen to him. But they could not go near the mountain, let alone God. They could not go near. Verse 18, For you have not come to a mountain that may be touched, into a blazing fire, into a darkness and gloom and whirlwind. Okay, you're not coming to the physical mountain of Sinai anymore. Remember, the people camped around it, and they were in awe of the power of God as it was displayed on the mountain. They were in fear of their very lives. And then when the words came from the Lord, what did they do? Don't, don't, don't talk anymore. We can't take it. Those words are too terrible for us. And it wasn't the fact that God was, was, was saying anything terrible. It was simply the, the terribleness, the awesomeness, the, the power of his words that the people could not bear. The people could not bear the words of God. They said, Moses, you go up and get them. We will listen to you. We'll listen to you. And what was the rule? The rule was this is the law of God. And if you didn't follow the law of God, what happened? You were toast. Okay? You were toast. Everything had to be followed. That's why you should read uh, Leviticus when you read the book of Hebrews. So you can see what the sacrificial system was like. So you can see the law and what it was like. And you can see how Christ is so far superior to the things of the law and the things of the sacrificial system. 
19, and the blast of the trumpet and the sound of the words, which was a sound such as that those who heard begged that no further word should be spoken. They could not stand the words, for they could not bear the command. It was so terrible, so, so awesome. They were afraid of Mount Sinai. They were afraid of God. They were afraid that if they didn't do everything God said, they would be killed. Remember the guy that gathered some wood on the Sabbath because he wanted to start a fire? And they stoned him. Okay? I, 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 that's one of the examples I love and I hate. Okay? I love it because it shows the law so clearly. Gathered some wood on the Sabbath. Probably went around the camp and picked up little twigs and things like that. He worked on the Sabbath. They stoned him. I love it because the law is so clear. I hate it because the law is so definite. There was no wiggle room in the law. There was no, oh, well, I'll give you this time. Okay, but pay attention next time so you don't do it. There was no grace in that. Now, there was grace in the law in the sense that the people of Israel did not deserve what they had received. Which of us in this room deserves the grace of our Heavenly Father? Which of us deserves to have the Son of God die for our sins? I don't see any hands because I know mine's not up. Okay. There was no grace given under the law. And these people want to go back to that. They want to go back to the old. They don't want to go to the new in Mount Zion. What was Mount Zion? Mount Zion is in the Old Testament talks about Jerusalem. It talks about the eternal kingdom. And in the New Testament it is particular about the things of Christ. Mount Zion is the mountain of grace. It is the mountain of forgiveness. It is the mountain where God understands you sin. And the sin is not going to crush you and destroy you. It is going to be covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, if you sin, even if you sin once in your entire life, you might as well have sinned every day. Because one sin was enough to keep you from heaven. Nobody could follow the law perfectly. And then along comes Jesus Christ. The one who gave his life, who shed his blood. And, and these people just could not grasp it, could not get their minds around it. Verse 22, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and the myriad of angels, to the general assembly and, the, and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. And to the sprinkling of blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. It's the blood of Christ that forgives our sins. It washes us clean of all those things that we were bound to before, chained to before. So the author is saying, do you want to stay with Mount Sinai? You want to stay with that mountain that you were so afraid of that you could not even touch, that you, the words that you could not even bear? Or do you want to go to Mount Zion, to the things of Christ? the things of grace, the things of forgiveness. Verse 25. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if those did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less shall we escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven. To illustrate this, we go back to Esau. You know, he had Jacob and Esau. Um, Esau 
was the hairy one, the hunter. Jacob was mama's favorite, and we know that the line of promise went through Jacob. Esau comes back from uh, an all-day hunt, and uh, he is famished. And he smells Jacob cooking up something, and he says, oh, that smells good. Give me a bite of that. Give me a bowl full of that. And Jacob says, give me your birthright. And Esau says, sure, for a bowl of stew, I'll give you my birthright. All the promises of God. That must have been some stew. Okay. All the promises of God. Everything that was included with that, Esau gave it away because he didn't think it was important. Because his, he, was more import, he was more concerned about the things of this world. And we can't be like that. We can't refuse God's voice and the promises and grace that he provides for us. We all have things in our lives that we're tied to. And, and I doubt that any of us are tied to Mount Sinai, that we want to be legalistic, that we want to follow everything to the letter of the law. But we have kind of partially that in our lives. Well, if I do this, then God will be pleased with me, and I want him to be pleased so that he will bestow his grace upon us. The most important thing is, do you believe in Jesus Christ? Do you desire to live fully committed to him? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all those things will be added unto you. See, that's the priority in our lives. Or you have things that are keeping you from full commitment to Christ, that you're tied to either out of tradition or out of fear or out of impatience. God, when are you going to do this? If you only did this, then I would believe wholeheartedly. God's got his perfect timing. Why is it perfect? Because it's perfect. Does Randy have perfect timing? No. He does not. Because he is not perfect. I would say the same for you. Only in God's providential and perfect care can we rest. He provides for us Jesus Christ that we might turn to the Mount of Zion and find grace and not be tied to the things of Sinai and the law and the things that held us in bondage. Friends, where are you in your life? Are there things that are holding you in bondage that you refuse to let go of, that you think, if just if I do, God will be pleased? Or have you abandoned those, laid them at the foot of the cross? We can come, Hebrews says, come boldly to our Heavenly Father. Come boldly to the throne of grace through the work Jesus has done. Have you put those things aside and relied completely upon his grace? Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ has brought a kingdom which cannot be shaken. For we, on our own work, we in our own efforts, cannot stand before you. We cannot even bear your words. But yet Jesus Christ, the mediator between you and us, has come. Lived the perfect life, gave his life on a cross, on the third day rose, ascended and is seated at the right hand and he of the Father and intercedes for us now. That you do not see us in our own efforts, that that when you enliven our heart and we, we receive Christ as our Lord and Savior, you look at us through his cleansing blood. Why should we go back to anything, any hope of pleasing you that was before Christ? We stand in Christ. What does he call us to do? How might we glorify you? That pleases you.
being tied to things in our life, being tied to the things of this world, having a view that is not first and foremost, does not take into consideration your word and obedience to that word, and how in our actions you might be seen, how you might be glorified. This is how we must live. This is what you call us to do now that we are in Christ. Lord, let us abandon all of those things that we might consider Sinai in our lives and cling to Zion, cling to the things of forgiveness and grace and the things of Jesus Christ, that we might be bold, that we might live uncompromising lives because of what Christ has done and the power that is available to us, those whom you have called and justified, those whom you have made righteous in the blood of Jesus. We come to you today, Lord, and pray that you will open our eyes to those particular things that we might abandon and those things that we would cling to in Christ. We ask it in his precious name. Amen. Our hymn is number 95, Near to the Heart of God. Let's stand as we sing hymn number 35.